Pastor Ed Taylor draws our attention to a very hurtful sin that's occurring at an alarming rate today, even in the church. By far, one of the most hurtful things that we experience between one another is gossip, to talk about people behind their backs. When false things are said about you, it hurts. When false things are believed by others, it even hurts more. And when lies continue to perpetuate, Satan gets a foothold in the church. Remember this, gossip and slander is a two-way street. It goes both ways. There's one to speak and there's one to hear. The one who listens to gossip is just as guilty as the one that spreads it. This is amazing grace. I'm sure you can think of a time when someone said something really awful about you behind your back and it was untrue. Worse yet, people believed it and before you know it, it was spread all over town. Well, sadly, that sort of behavior has only gotten worse with the advent of the internet. But how should we respond to that sort of thing? Do we lash out in anger or shut down? Actually, there's a much better way to go and it's modeled for us by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 2. That's where we join Pastor Ed Taylor today on Abounding Grace. Have you ever been backed into a corner? I'd have to say that's one of the most uncomfortable things to have happen to us. Backed into a corner physically is pretty rare, but more along the lines emotionally or spiritually or with words where in the argument or in the situation you just feel like there's no way out. There are a lot of different responses that come when people are backed into a corner. Some shut down. That's their mechanism of coping with a situation like that. They shut down. They give in to the pressure and they respond accordingly. They have no strength or no desire to fight back. Other people, when they're pushed into a corner and they're backed into a corner, when they're trapped into a corner, they lash out in anger. It's so uncomfortable to them and so unfair that they're not going to allow this to happen. And they muster up enough strength and enough words and loudness and volume. And they're not going to let it happen and they lash out. Others, they simply answer the situation in love and grace and patience. There's that preparation of prayer that even though we don't know when a situation like that will happen, we're ready for it spiritually, and very naturally the Spirit will come in his 1 Corinthians 13 agape love, and we'll be able to respond in love and grace. That's where we find Pastor Paul here as he writes to the church in Corinth. He doesn't shut down, he doesn't lash out, but simply responds in love to a whole host of things that have been said about him and thought about him and believed about him that are untrue. It's as if he's been pushed into the corner with everyone's thoughts and ideas, that he's been pressured for some kind of response, but instead of shutting down and running away or lashing out and screaming, he simply responds in love. 
by far one of the most damaging sins in the believer's life and in the church itself, would be when something is said that is untrue. Gossip, slander, lies. That's a sin in and of itself, and what makes it even more painful is when it's believed without being followed up. Where a rumor takes place, and it runs its gamut through believers, through the congregation, and not one person has ever checked up on it with the person to find out if any of it is true or not. So this person's talking, this person's talking, this person's talking. It's like this room being filled with lies and rumor and slander. And the enemy's got us. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 5 verse 13, it says, Besides, speaking of gossip and slander and these idle women, it says, Besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. Not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. And let me say, friend, it's not just something that women uh, have a problem with. It's something that men have a problem with. It's not just something that unbelievers have. It's something that believers engage in. And it's one thing to be on the side of spreading it and believing it. It's another thing to be on the side of people believing it about you. And I want you to put yourself, if you've ever had that, I want you to feel the feeling. I know it's probably bringing up something really bad for you, but in order to grasp where Paul is, you've got to have that feeling of something being said about you that just isn't true and people are believing it and spreading it and you feel like you're backed into a corner. There's nowhere to turn. Even people that are close to you, people that have been with you, people that actually know you haven't given you the benefit of the doubt. That's where Paul is. Backed into a corner. The word there in 1 Timothy chapter 5 means to boil or to bubble or a tattler. One that boils over. The picture of that word is one that boils over with rude, unnecessary talk. So I would caution you. Would you turn over to Genesis chapter 9 with me, please? This will be a recurring theme in 2 Corinthians because it's a recurring theme of Paul writing to the church in Corinth. There may be times as you're studying along with us that you think, man, haven't we covered that before? Yes, and we're going to cover it again because it's the theme throughout the book. This is the background of where Paul is. This is where he is responding from, which makes his loving, godly, gracious response all the more to be mimicked in our lives. Because he could shut down, as some of you so easily do when you're backed into a corner. And he could lash out, as so many of you do when you're backed into a corner. But instead, he responds with love. And I would just caution you that when you hear bad news, be careful. Be careful. When you hear bad news, be careful not to think the worse. Sure, maybe some of what you've heard is true. But be careful not to believe the worst, to think of the worst in someone because a weakness in their life has revealed itself or a flaw. Let me let you in on something. The longer you are in a fellowship family, the longer you are in a church, the longer you're here at Calvary, the more you're hanging out with people, the more you're getting to know people, the more you're plugging in in a community group or a women's study or a men's study or you go out to play in the sports ministry or you go fishing with the guys here or whatever you're doing. The longer you stay in a fellowship family, the more weaknesses and flaws you will see in the people around you. You're going to come to the conclusion that, man, believers are like, man, they've got problems. I know, I know, I know. 
Or the longer you serve with me or alongside of me, and you go, man, Ed, there's some weaknesses and flaws in your life. I know, I know. You could have just asked Marie. She would have told you that a long time ago. You don't have to spend all that time. That's what happens in relationship. And just as you would want someone to think the best in you, when you hear or see something in someone that isn't quite polished, it isn't what you expected, don't immediately think the worst and thus make it worse. I'll let you know right now, every single person in this room, part of our church, has flaws and weaknesses and sinful tendencies, and they battle with the flesh, and they deal with issues in their life, and the truth is that's every church, but especially your church. God is growing us up. You know, you can look at it one one of two ways. You can say, wow, what a weakness, what a flaw. But the other way to look at it is you should have seen them last week. They're so much better. You should have seen them last year. You should have met them when they walked in the door. You should have met them when they heard the gospel in their car on I-25, ready to commit suicide. You should have met them when the gospel sobered them up. Somebody had come along from our church and shared the gospel with them, and in an instant, they were sober. All that money they wasted to get high, it's over because God took it away, grabbed them in the midst. I mean, things are bad, but they could be much worse. And one of the ways they could be much worse is by how you and I handle bad news and how you and I handle seeing a flaw in someone, big or small. I'm reminded here in Genesis chapter 9 of poor Noah. As he finally comes out of the ark, there in verse 18 of Genesis chapter 9, then the sons of Noah who went out of the ark with Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Ham was the father of Cain, and these Three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. Now Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. So far, so good. Then he drank of the wine and was, what does your Bible say? Drunk. Noah became drunk. Not only that, but in his drunkenness, he became uncovered in his tent. That's a nice way of saying that he became a naked, drunken fool. And the idea behind the Hebrew even speaks to something even lewd about this, as many drunks get into lewdness. Noah spent all this time on preacher of righteousness, Noah, preacher of righteousness, godly man. The family was saved from the flood and judgment. The man that was obedient. The man that the Bible calls righteous, the man that the Bible calls blameless, the man that the Bible calls a preacher of righteousness. <laughs> He plants a vineyard, so far so good. He drank of the wine, and he was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. Why did this happen to such a godly man? Because he was a man that made some really bad decisions. Now, on a side note, I want you to know in the Bible, as you read through the scriptures, this is the first time that wine is mentioned in the scriptures. First mention. When you're reading through the Bible, you always want to pay attention to the first mentions. And wine is mentioned here and immediately associated with drunkenness. I know it doesn't always lead to drunkenness. But I just want you to see the association. There is a close 
association in the Bible, a close relationship between intoxication and iniquity, between drunkenness and debauchery. And so here he is under the influence and greatly drunk, and he becomes uncovered in his tent. When a person begins to lose his or her faculties through alcohol and drugs, all inhibitions and restraints seem to go out the door. Alcohol is a drug. It's a depressant. And it literally depresses and suppresses moral inhibitions leading a person to do, if not unchecked, left unchecked. If left unchecked leads a person to do some vile and nasty things under the influence of drunkenness. That's why drunkenness is taught through the scriptures as a sin. The Bible, you go through the Proverbs, you see you've got to be very, very careful with alcohol. Be very, very careful. Because it has properties in it that can make you addicted. Especially you young people. But it really isn't limited to, it isn't limited to age, but especially you young people. It says, how do you know that you won't become an alcoholic? I don't know, Ed. I don't think I will. The only way to find out is to start drinking. I was introduced to alcohol after I graduated between the 7th and the 8th grade. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was actually between 6th and 7th grade, I should say, from elementary school into junior high. I remember it like it was yesterday. I have all those visual memories. And it was just a few guys thinking we're going to be Mr. Big Shots. And we shared a tall can of Budweiser in a, in a brown paper bag. And for me, and I know that's not everyone's story, but for me, that was the end of the story. Because it was also in junior high that I was introduced to a whole new world of how easy that stuff was to get. And I was introduced to all sorts of things that I had never seen in my life in that little elementary school that was across the street from my house. And I was introduced to all sorts of people that had no problem leading me in that direction. And before you know it, in my personality and in my background and who I was, I found out that that was not something that was going to be good for me. And it began to destroy my life. It began to control me. Just like the Bible says not to be controlled. Of course, I wasn't saved back then. I had no idea, no hindrance, no nothing holding me back, no spirit of God within me. There was, well, there was the same personality then that I have now. I don't know how many of you share a personality like this, but my personality is I'm all in in whatever I do. There is no halfway for me. I don't dabble in things. I'm all in. And unfortunately, that personality doesn't do well with alcohol and drugs. And it all began just with a little, just one little decision. And certainly I can see in my own life some of these things with drunkenness. I mean, it's always discouraging. Let me tell you, it's always discouraging as a pastor when I hear about drunkenness throughout the church. It's when I see things on Facebook, and it's just so sad. The Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, in which is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. And so be ever careful with those substances, both legal and illegal, that would seek to take you under their control and change you, and change your behavior, and suppress your inhibitions, and depress your ability to say no and make rational decisions. Why? 
Well, Noah reveals to us what can happen. You can do really bad things that you'll regret. Things that can't be undone. Things that can't be erased. All because you set your eyes, you set your, you win in that direction. You set yourself in that direction. Be very, very careful because what we see here is not just the revelation of drunkenness here, but we see a man that's out of control. He was just on the, he was just on the ark. He was just there out of faithfulness, obedience. And we see a failure in this life. Well, we're not the only ones to see his failure. So did his sons. You pick up in verse 22 in Ham. The father of Canaan saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it both on their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away and they did not see their father's nakedness. And as Noah lay passed out, Ham enters the tent and it says that he saw his father's nakedness. Literally, that word in the Hebrew can mean he gazed at. I believe that there was something in Ham that was happy at his father being out of it. Some satisfaction in him. It appears as you study the scriptures that Ham had some rebellious nature that was inflamed by moral lapses of his father. And he, what does it say? He quickly, he went out and told his two brothers. But they weren't interested in exploiting their dad's weakness. They weren't interested in disrespecting their father. And so what do they do? They take a garment, they laid it on their shoulders, and they go backwards. They don't even want the image in their mind of what's happening to dad here. Oh, it's bad. And yeah, I believe you, Ham, but I don't want to see it. I don't even want that in my mind. They respected their father even in his failure. They wanted to cover it up and help their helpless dad. It reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, when Peter writes, Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. That's what it looks like. There's nothing they can do to undo this. There's nothing that they can do to undo it. There's nothing they can do to, you know, roll the clock back and say, Dad, Dad, don't even go there. But because it has happened, they decided to cover him. And unfortunately, there are many hams in the church today. They like to gaze upon the sins of others and make sure that everyone knows and broadcast it. Instead of keeping it to themselves and helping, they go out and begin to the, begin the gossip. Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? I saw such-and-such. Check it out. Huh. I just want you to know that gossip kills a person. And we need to stop talking to people and begin to praying, about, praying to God about situations that we see. And it may require us to go in with a garment backwards to cover up a brother and help a brother sober up and get back on his feet and get back in the right frame of minds. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And by far, one of the most hurtful things that we experience between one another is gossip. To talk about people behind their backs. When false things are said about you, it hurts. When false things are believed by others, it even hurts more. And when lies continue to perpetuate, Satan gets a foothold in the church. Remember this, gossip and slander is a two-way street. It goes both ways. There's one to speak and there's one to hear. The one who listens to gossip is just as guilty as the one that spreads it. 
Hey, thanks for joining us today on Abounding Grace as Pastor Ed Taylor resumed our series in 2 Corinthians. You can hear it again online at calvaryco.church or through our apps. Those can be found in your favorite app store by searching for Calvary Aurora. Pastor Ed, today you pointed out how destructive gossip is and how to respond to it. As you know, this sort of thing is happening every day on the Internet, especially on social media. Ministries, churches, and pastors have really been impacted in recent years as well by false accusations being made and believed. What would you suggest we do or don't do when that crosses our newsfeed? You know, Larry, with social media today, gossip and division and all kinds of nastiness spread around the world so quickly that we have become immune to it. And we really, I, I appreciate you asking the question because we need to gird up the loins of our minds, as the Bible says, and read our newsfeed carefully and prayerfully. Uh, so when you say, what do you suggest we do or don't do? Uh, I can tell you a suggestion that probably won't be very popular to many, but one of the things that I recently did, well, recently, uh, two years ago, is I no longer uh, read Facebook. And I, I, it started out with just a break, and then it became, uh, it's good for me, and then it became, you know, I think I'm going to live this way, and I haven't been actively reading my newsfeed on Facebook for over two years. Now, I do post to our account personally, but I have another program that does that for me, and I, I just think detoxing from social media, from Facebook, has helped me a lot. Uh, when you see something, but if that's not, not for you, because for many people that's that's not going to be their choice, then then look carefully and prayerfully respond to the person privately. That would be another thing I'd do. Like if there's something said or written and you know the person, uh, respond to them privately. The Bible says, Matthew 18, to go to them and them alone, personally. And obviously the best case scenario is face-to-face. If not face-to-face, phone call. If not phone call, you know, go ahead and send them a private message and dialogue about what the Bible has to say about what you see. Because here's the thing. If you read this stuff all the time, it's going to affect you. And you go, oh, no, no, and I can handle it. It doesn't affect me. Well, then you're speaking against the Bible because the Bible says the words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the inmost body. Like, that's just the way it is. They go down deep into the, into the heart of a matter. Uh, you know, in the New Living, it says... What dainty morsels rumors are, they sink deep into one's heart. And that's a, that's a difficult place to be because one's heart, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I think another thing not to do is don't get involved with all the debate and dialogue through the feed. You know, pray for the person, but, and, and you may have a strong opinion. Uh, don't, don't get into arguments. You know, you might win an argument but lose a soul because it's, I know there's the person that posted it, but a lot of people are watching. And so respond in such a way that will glorify God, that would honor him, that would be edifying and encouraging. I mean, there's a lot to be said here, but it's the best thing to do is avoid rumor and gossip altogether. And I guess one more thing, um, as a person that has been the object of many rumors and much gossip over the years, don't believe what you read without talking to the person. Please just talk to the person. 
There's always two sides. The Bible says the first one to plead his case sounds right until his neighbor comes and reproves him. So don't believe it because gossip is a two-way street. It's There's the gossiper and there's the listener, and they're both in sin. Thanks, Larry. Well said, my friend. Great advice. We have an excellent resource we'd like to get into your hands called The Quick Scripture Reference for Counseling. We all face problems, big and small, and the Bible has the answers. But where do we find them? That's where this quick scripture reference can come in handy, as it covers a wide range of subjects many deal with, from anxiety to divorce, forgiving others, work or prayer. It works well in counseling situations, too, as you'll be able to find pertinent messages to help you share God's Word with a friend when they need it most. And we'll gladly send you a copy for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Please remember this ministry is made possible through the support of listeners, and we're grateful for whatever the Lord leads you to do. It would be great to hear from you during these summer months. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryco.church. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.